And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's the M&M Boys, as we like to call ourselves. And this is McAdoo with you. Uh, with you for the next hour or so coming up. Uh, Sean had a, uh, an interesting column this week for the non-playoff teams, the 16 teams that we think um, aren't headed to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, 15 are definitely not going, and we're pretty sure as we're recording this, there's going to be a 16th. But uh, we're going to talk about positive thoughts for those teams. I want to talk about... You know, relative to what we thought these teams would be at the start of the year, like, who's the most disappointing team uh, in the NHL? We've got some locked-in playoff matches we can sink our teeth into. Mini St. Louis, Edmonton, L.A. Uh, I want to ask Sean if he wants to see Pittsburgh, Florida uh, in, in round one. Uh, voting for major awards is coming up. What would a perfect Hart Trophy ballot look like? Norris Trophy Calder. Some really fun mailbag questions, too. One with Yuri Herdina's name in it which is, that's all the teaser that we need for that. This week in hockey history, too, we're going to tee up something Sean's going to have uh, later this week in The Athletic. we got to get to all of that coming up in, like I said, the next 60 minutes or so. But suspiciously, no Jesse Granger today, Sean, because no. I think that guy has been the most busy media guy We decided there's not much hockey. going on in Vegas, yeah. so there's really, we gave him, we gave him the, the, the week off. There's, there's not, the, the Knights aren't making any headlines or anything, so. No. Uh, I yeah, mean, <laughs> he's 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 running around chasing down whatever twists and turns of drama this whole day. And plus, he also might be the backup goalie tonight. So, uh, yeah, busy, busy times for Jesse. Yeah. And again, just a little uh, peek behind the curtains here. We're doing this late on a Wednesday night. Uh, so, again, by the time this drops on Thursday, the Golden Knights could very well be uh, eliminated from the playoffs. All it's going to take is one point from Dallas, which could happen here by the time we're we're done recording. But 
it it's a perfect leaping off point though, Sean, to um your column this week where you look at all and you you did lump Vegas into this, uh saying, look, they're yeah. not gonna Yeah, I, I'm not as charitable as you are. Dallas is playing Arizona. They're going to win that game. They're up Vegas, by multiple Vegas goals. Is they're yeah. gone. They're okay. gone. Is finished, and if if for some reason that has all turned around tomorrow morning, and people want to yell at me, I'm willing to accept that. I feel pretty good on this one. This is where we get our producer Danielle. We're going to have an alternate <laughs> yes. version of this. Yep. Danielle, make sure you write uh, you 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 put in the proper version of us talking about how Vegas. We will uh, cut it in uh, Simpson style. Uh, the, Mr. Uh, yeah. Black, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah, exactly. So, okay, now you did the column this week where. Um, and look, I cover the Ottawa Senators, so I was I was keen to see what you said about them. Uh, fans of the Red Wings and the Jackets and, you know, Anaheim, these are non-playoff teams. Your your premise is simple. You do this, I think, every year, right? Like, hey, here's three positive things for the non-playoff teams that you can hang your mm-hmm. hat on. Now I need to ask you, though, what was the toughest team? What was the team that you're like, ah, boy, I'm going to have a hard time finding three things that this yep. fan base can be excited about? I'll, I'll tell you right now, there were two. Uh, there were two that are the toughest because whenever I sit down to do this, there are, are two types of teams that tend to be pretty easy to come up with, at least a couple, if not three. Number one are the teams that are in a pure rebuild, right? I mean, it, when you're in rebuild, optimism is not hard to find. That's what you're selling during a rebuild. You're, I mean, yeah, your team missed the playoffs, but they were expected to. You're not too worried about that. There's prospects on the way. There's probably some young guys in the lineup. Uh, that are already uh, uh, showing signs of something. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know who's going to top out where, what the ceiling is, but you know that it's going to get better. Uh, so it's it's never, I don't find it too difficult to sell a rebuild on optimism. So, you know, so those teams you mentioned, the Ottawa, Buffalo, uh, certainly De- Arizona. Detroit, right? Detroit, yeah. yeah not Not too tough. The other ones that are, they tend to be a little on the easy side. And this sound this is maybe a bit counterintuitive, but the the teams that, that are the good teams that miss the playoffs. And, and those are always the teams that are most disappointed. But a team like Vegas, look, I mean, you look at that lineup on paper, that's still a pretty good team. And as far as there being hope for next year, obviously the fact that they miss is is a disaster and and is a um you know, just just a, a, a huge a huge miss for this year and does make you cast some doubt going forward on what the the upside of that roster is. But there's still a lot of talent there. And um, there, there's usually one or two teams a year that that miss the playoffs. Winnipeg, to some extent, I would maybe put in that category as well. Here are the two that are the toughest. It's the teams that miss the playoffs, not by all that much, but they're not in a rebuild. These are usually the teams that are older, locked into bad contracts. And the two that I had the toughest time with uh, it was the San Jose Sharks, and the other one was the Philadelphia Flyers. Oof, Slightly yeah. different situations. Now, you know, in the Sharks' case, it, it, as I as I think I wrote in their piece, we it's been a few years now, and each year I write the same thing. I say this is an old team that's locked into some bad contracts, and the only thing that seems to change every year is they get a little bit older. Uh, so. There's really not a ton of optimism because you look at that team and and yeah, there's a new GM coming in and he's probably going to come in and say, we need to tear it all down. I don't even know how you do tear it down though. Those contracts right. that you're locked into, there, there's really not a lot of room for a rebuild there. So that was tough. And then Philadelphia, you know, they've got some young pieces, including some that are that are on the roster right now and, and doing pretty well. There, there could be some reason for optimism, but the part that scares me there 
is was that press conference earlier this year where Chuck Fletcher sat, sat there next to ownership and they talked about an aggressive right. retool instead of a rebuild. Like they were going to yep. be able to get this right back on track. That is always the scary thing. When, when from the outside, and even I would argue an awful lot of Flyers fans are saying, this needs to be stripped down. We need to do the rebuild. But you've got an owner saying, no, 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 we're going to be back in the playoffs next year. That really worries me. And the fact that they did move Claude Giroux and, and got a decent return for him, that, uh, you know, maybe that suggests that, uh, that this could go the right way. But again, you look at Philadelphia, a lot of guys uh, on big contracts, a lot of guys that are not old in the sense that uh, of San Jose, but a lot of guys who seem to have hit their ceiling and maybe not quite where you were hoping they would get to. Um, I don't see a ton of optimism for Philadelphia that I can sell those fans right now. And luckily, Flyers fan base is such a, a cheery and optimistic one <laughs> by nature. I, I don't have to work too hard. So let me ask you, let me phrase it this way, because look, Philadelphia, I think what's weird, Philly is going to end this year. They end that pattern. Remember, they were in the playoffs, out of the playoffs That's for right. whatever, 11 yep. years in a row. It was it was it was crazy. It was like good year, bad year, good year, bad year. Well, it's mm-hmm. two straight bad years. And I, I'm with you. I tend to think that, you know, them making the playoffs next year might be a bit of a stretch, but you, you never know. They, they might completely all, um, alter the roster in the offseason. But I think the easy answer to this question is Vegas, but I don't know if it's the right answer. And here's how I'm going to phrase the question. Kind of vis-a-vis or relative to your preseason expectations this year. Who is the biggest disappointment in the NHL this year? I'm going to throw out a few teams here that I think fit the bill. And again, I think everyone's reflex answer would be, oh, it's Vegas, right? Like they're, they're in the new cycle. They've been a perpetual playoff team. They're imploding. They're a soap opera. Okay, so Vegas is in that mix. I think the Islanders are there. The Habs, we got to remember, went all the way to the Stanley Cup final last year. There's Philly, who we talked about. There's Winnipeg, uh, who's been pretty much a playoff team or close to it the last four or five years. And then I'd like to throw Chicago in there only because I think there was some like a curiosity factor with them, with Fleury, with Seth Jones, with some things that they did. You're like, man, maybe Chicago, maybe they're going to be good again. Like Based on what you thought these teams would be at the start of the year, who do you think underperformed the most relative to preseason expectations? Yeah, I, I would put the Flyers and the Hawks in the same category of teams that underachieved the expectations of the front office. Uh, those are two teams where I think yeah. thought they were going to be certainly in the playoff mix. Uh, the you know the Flyers feeling like they were going to bounce back, and and people forget the Flyers were a really good team in in 2020, so it wasn't completely unreasonable to think that they could that they could bounce back. And the Blackhawks, you know, with what they did going out, getting Mark Andre Fleury, getting Seth Jones, they all they they were acting like a team that thought they were going to be back in the mix. I would argue both of those teams. I think there were an awful lot of people on the outside saying, I I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be playoff teams, and and so I don't know that they underachieved consensus expectations that much although obviously they they underachieved the expectations of the people in the room making the decisions Montreal you could put in that category too in the sense that a lot of us thought Montreal would have a tough time making the playoffs I didn't see anybody predict what we saw um so as as far as you know sheer drop at number of points you know place in the standings um nobody saw them winding up where they did but I think a lot of us did say Probably not making the playoffs, and we and we thought not making the playoffs based on having Carey Price around, and and certainly not having the the degree of injuries that they had. Like I said in the piece today, I, I think there's sometimes it's just you just burn the tape, and you just say, you know what, everything that went wrong did, 
and we just move on and uh, and and hope that we can find our footing next year. So I, to me, it comes down to Vegas, the Islanders, and the Jets. And uh, to me, I, 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 Vegas is the right answer here. This was a team that was absolutely all in on not the playoffs, but on a Stanley Cup. I mean, this was a team that if they had gone out in the second round, it would have been viewed as a, a major disappointment. The Pacific was their division to win. And so to not even make the playoffs is just catastrophic. It's it's almost beyond imagination, even given all the injuries, even given the drama and, and the fact that they went out and got Jack Eichel knowing he wasn't going to be able to play immediately. Um, it's it's almost unfathomable to me how that is all played out. Um, but I, I, I will give an, a special nod to the Winnipeg Jets because I had the Jets overachieving based on the expectations in, in, in the, at the beginning of the season. I said, I looked at the Jets and I said, this is a top five team in the NHL. I think I thought they had uh, a top two or three goaltender. I thought they had one of the best forward groups and I thought the blue line was going to be good enough that they were going to be a really elite team. So uh, I, I was ahead of the pack on that one. So just personally, as, as far as teams underachieving, they'd be up there for me. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think anything can touch the Vegas Golden Knights. I, I can't even think of a recent example of a team that was this much of a lock, this much of a sure thing to make the playoffs that, that ended up missing out. You know, it's, it's funny too. I, I had to chuckle at your, uh, your comment about the Seattle Kraken and your first is your first thought or your first sentence was, Hey, it's the best season in franchise history. Yeah. It's as um, good as now, it's ever been. It's it, Yeah. Now I do want to ask about. Seattle only because remember before the season started, it was more around the expansion draft. We we're like, oh man, like the expectations around Seattle are high. Look, Vegas, Vegas set the bar really high. Well, mm-hmm. at the end of the year now, Seattle's kind of where I think a lot of us thought they would be. Um, I think I, I think is it fair to say that we've now, if whenever the league does expand again, that maybe we've recalibrated yep. expansion expectations back to what like Seattle did what I think we thought an expansion team should do, which is finish in the bottom five of the standings. Yeah, and Seattle was a strange one because uh, you're right. Vegas set the bar unreasonably high. And I think even a lot of us understood that. I I, I mean, nobody was looking at Seattle saying, I bet you this team goes to the Stanley Cup final in year one. I bet you this team has 110 points or whatever it was. But I I think certainly we looked at it and thought, well, you know, playoffs at the very least. Um, what was interesting to me with Seattle was when they came out of that expansion draft and you looked at not only who they wound up with, uh, who they took, who they didn't take. Remember, they left a ton of big names uh, on the board that they could have taken. Um, no trades, virtually nothing, you know, no assets picked up, no side deals. And I think a lot of us were looking at that going, this is not going to be a very good team. But we were hesitant to say it because a lot <laughs> right. of us felt that way with Vegas. Like that's that's the thing everyone forgets about Vegas. Nobody coming out of that expansion draft with the Golden Knights was like, this is a great team. We all looked at that team and went, they're not going to be very good. And then they surprised us um, when the season started. So I think a lot of us got burned on that and we didn't want to go as far as maybe we should have in, in saying that that Seattle team wasn't going to be very good. And again, as you said, there's nothing wrong with not being good as an expansion team. It's you're you're trying to build a foundation. You're not trying to win in year 1. Um but they they were not very good. That became clear very soon. I I feel like we did recalibrate. The one nice thing 
between Seattle finishing where they did and maybe the fact that Vegas has finally missed the playoffs. Please tell me that we never again have to hear about how the expansion draft was rigged right. or how how Gary Bettman set it up so this expansion team would what Vegas pulled off in year one was a miracle. Uh, we will never see it again, probably in any sport. Uh, and the fact that, you know, to have Seattle do what they did um, should just reinforce that. It, it was a once in a lifetime thing. I know I know there was a lot of bad feelings about it, a lot of jealousy. Let's just call it what it was. People were, were jealous that this new team, new fan base comes in and had success right away. Um, but can we please put to rest the narrative that anything was handed to these guys? Um, it wasn't. Uh, and, uh, um, the fact that, that Seattle face planted as hard as they did just reinforces that. Yeah. And you know what, if we're, we're going full circle here too, I think there's some level of enjoyment from hockey fans who are watching Vegas implode this season and saying, you know Huge what? Huge level yeah. of enjoyment. Yeah. I, I, there you I've go. been taken off guard, uh, caught off guard <laughs> yeah. a little bit by how, uh, how overjoyed uh, so many other fan bases seem to be uh, that something bad. And I think it's part of, part of it is all the success that they've had, you know, this feeling that, um, you know, this, this team's never had true adversity, you know, in the hockey sense. And, you know, I, I remember I, I wrote, I think it was earlier in the year or maybe it was last year's playoffs. I said, this, this is a fan base that's been sad for one five minute power play in their entire existence. Uh, and then also the fact that, you know, the, the salary cap shenanigans and the fact that they were always the team going out and getting the big player. I think there's just a lot of, you know, it, a, a lot of people it's it, you, when you see the guy at the poker table, push all the chips in and he's real confident. It's really nice to see those cards flip down and, and watch him go bust. Um, and, but I, I really didn't get a sense up until a couple of weeks ago, how much bad feelings there were out there about the. Uh, the Golden Knights, because the uh, um, the the Schadenfreude here uh, oh, is, I mean, this is like Toronto Maple Leafs first round exit levels of uh, of plan the parade among other fan bases, and uh, you know whether you like that or not, I I'm surprised at how uh, how intense it's been. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we've got a couple of playoff matchups already set. Um, and a couple that look like they're going to happen, but the, you know, the two that are set up in the West are intriguing to me. And I saw this thrown out on Twitter and I thought this might, this was really, I didn't even think of this as a story angle, but Mike Smith against Jonathan quick Edmonton, LA Smith and quick met each other in the Western conference final 10 years ago, 2012, oh, wow. 2012. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Arizona had that kind of weird run where they got to the conference final, lost to LA, and LA ultimately won the Stanley Cup over New Jersey. Uh, Mike Smith and Jonathan Quick went head-to-head in the playoff series there. And I'm thinking, we got a job for the Down Goes Brown internship uh, program here. You want to you get in on yep. that internship? You tell us if there's ever been another 10-year gap uh, between oh, wow. goalies facing each other in the playoffs. Now, the one that came to mind immediately, but it's not 10 years, and you could maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Mike Vernon, Patrick Waugh. They mm-hmm. meet in, in 89 uh, with the Habs and the uh, Flames. But yep. now, now here's the thing. They technically met in 86 with the Habs and the Flames. And yes. then later on, like, you know, 10 years later, but they had the one in between. I'm talking about mm-hmm. a full out 10 year gap. We don't play each other in the playoffs. Um, you know, uh, has this ever yeah. happened before? I, that's, I th- it's a really, it, it, it's a, and I think it was like, uh, what's his name on Twitter? Jay Fresh. Okay. Um, I think he was the one who put it out. And I was like, man, I never even thought of that. What what a great angle. And I'm telling you, maybe this is one of your quirky things you got to look up. Has Have we ever seen a, a goalie matchup that went a decade in between the two guys facing each other? That's a, that's a great call. And yeah. I mean, my, my guess is there, there's got to be one out there. But I mean, back, back in the day, in the original six, there were a lot of goalies that played. They came in early and played well into their 30s, if not their 40s. But... When there's only six teams that play off, but, there were so many playoff matchups over. Expansion yeah. era, right? Expansion era, yeah. I, especially back then, there would have been some goalies who, you know, you went to the wrong team and that, that was it. You, you weren't even in the playoffs for, for a while. Oh, wait. Um, hold on. Hold on. I think yeah, I just oh, thought of one? one. I think okay. I just thought of one. Hear me out on this. Mm-hmm. No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Okay. I thought, <laughs> I just right. thought for a second, I thought Mark andre Fleury, Kerry Price, because I thought of last year, uh, Vegas and Montreal in the whatever that was, a semifinal. Yeah. And then I thought, well, remember when the Habs shocked the Penguins in 2010, but that was Halak. Yes, that's right. That yeah. was Halak. And then that I'm was. like, oh, there, there you go. Price there may have a- got in a little bit on that. No, but, but that uh, you, we can't deem that as a head-to-head. No, right? no, I wouldn't. Halak uh, had, had, had clearly oh, thought become I had the guy. It. But thought I had it. Uh, All right, I'm going to stay on this one, and, uh, and, okay. and hopefully somebody will, uh, will maybe even uh, get back to us. Uh, I'm just, you know what I'm looking at right now? Of all the guys that I just started Googling was Sean Burke. Sean Burke played when uh, Sean Burke's last career playoff matchup was against the Ottawa Senators, and it was Dominic Hasek that year. Oh, man. So now I got to go back and see, but I no, don't no, think no, he no, ever no, played. It would, uh, no, that wouldn't have been Hasek. That would have been Ray Emery. Was Hasek not, not, oh, not in the playoffs because he got hurt at the Olympics. <laughs> You're right. But and, and anyway, yeah. it, uh, it, Burke never played. Uh, wouldn't have played uh, Hashik because he was, uh, uh, oh, unless with Philadelphia, he might have. Oh, man, I, well, I'm going to okay. send you down a rabbit hole here. Like, they Hextall did. They played Sean the Sabres Burke. in 98. So that could have been it. So that, uh, but that would have been, even that would have only been eight years. Eight years. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, I, we're going to, we're getting the intern on this. Okay. I feel like Dwayne Rollison is going to play a role in this somehow, <laughs> like some 40 year old goaltender that, uh, that we're not even thinking of is, Mar- is going to have been. I mean, Marty one Brodeur. of those. One of those 17 Tom Barrasso teams that he played for late in his career that nobody has any memory of. Carolina. Uh, Tom Barrasso, like Carolina. That. There like, it is. Yeah. 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 Okay. So anyway, uh, interns, get on it. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll look around on it. Anyway, I just thought it was a cool angle. Smith and, mm-hmm. Smith and Quick um, for that. Uh, so 
would you agree with me that like all of the pressure is on the Oilers here? Yes. Like all of it? Yep. Like, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I, I think it's clearly, especially, I mean, there, there was always going to be, if you had said at the beginning of the year, hey, the Oilers are making the playoffs and the Kings are making the playoffs. Who's going to be under more pressure? We'd all have said the Oilers. We, we know the Connor McDavid era, all the narratives around that, their lack of success, what happened last year, versus the Kings, who are a rebuilding team. I mean, you're never just happy to be there. But the fact that they are in uh, the fact that they are in the playoffs at all is a victory. They have overachieved on what you were hoping for this year, uh, let alone the fact that they're playing each other. Yes, absolutely. It's it's the Oilers. And, and I mean, how much when you look at what the final standing is going to look like, it's still possible the Kings could be number 16 as far as the 16 playoff teams, just in terms of the, their regular season standings. And I mean, if you're the Oilers, I you, there are no easy matchups, but having this one fall into your lap when the Oilers are only going to finish like 12th or 13 out of the playoff teams, and they're going to get potentially 14, 15, 16th seeded, if we did it that way, LA Kings, I'm not going to call it an easy matchup. There aren't no. any easy matchups in today's NHL, but this is the one that you want. If if we did that thing that people want where you could pick your playoff matchup, it, the Kings would be right up there. Or Nashville, if, if Saros is out, probably it might even be a better pick, but the Kings would be right up there. And the fact that we're going to get you know some of these other matchups in the East with, with teams with much better records playing each other, um, you got to take that. If you're Edmonton, you got to look at that and say, this is an opportunity. It's a lot like the Leafs last year getting to play Montreal. You got to say, look, this is the perfect matchup on paper for a team that needs to get over the hump. We saw what happened when the Leafs didn't do it. It's it's not the same with the the Oilers because of the history, and and I don't think the expectations are quite the same, but it's a similar sort of thing where you're going, hey, man, if we can't win this one that's dropped into our laps, we got to really wonder what's going on. You know, I, I had somebody yesterday uh, tweet at, I think they tweeted at both of us. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Montreal ended up getting into the, the the cup final. And 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 again, this is another one for the Down Goes Brown internship uh, program. But uh, the way it was phrased was basically, uh, when you look at the Lightning's path to the cup final last year, has there ever been a team where it almost looked like they did it in reverse? Meaning their toughest series was round one, which was Florida. Mm-hmm. Um and then it progressively got easier and ultimately ending with Montreal in the cup final. Like, it, it's almost like if you found out, okay, Tampa won the cup and they beat these four teams, you'd be like, okay, well, they beat the Habs first. And the, like, you know, but it almost went in reverse order. Like, yeah. uh, have we ever seen that before? I, that's, I, that's interesting. I, 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 and again, I didn't see that. Are, so that's, yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're right. That was, uh, that was a very strange path. Uh, and I'm, you know, now I'm trying, we've, we've certainly seen some weird teams make the final. Uh, so it's not all that unusual to get to the final and have, uh, a team that maybe, maybe wasn't all that good waiting for you, but to, to do it the whole way like that. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting point. I never really thought of it that way. Okay. So we have one other locked in matchup in the West and this, this might sound like a weird comment that I'm going to make, but I, I just, just hear me out. Minnesota, St. Louis. I feel like this series is either going to go seven games or one of these teams is sweeping the other. It's mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to explain it. And I don't know who's going to win. I just feel like it's either going to be four and out or it's yep. going seven. I, I, I don't know. Like, 
I yeah. have no idea how to 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 judge this series. That well, I mean that yeah, that feels about right, and I think it's I think it's a lot more likely to go seven. In fact, this is the that one. And maybe this is the angle you're coming from because it, it it feels like every year there's one series that everyone just pencils in for seven, and then that's usually the one that goes four or five and ends up yeah. being all that. So you know maybe maybe that's the uh, uh, the same thing that we that we see here. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, uh, that's going to be a great series. I'm I'm already looking for. I like that we got that one set early, and and you know we we can uh, and we watched the two teams. Bounce back and forth for home ice, which feels like it's going to be important because these are two teams that both have significantly better home ice records than, than on the road. Uh, still not settled. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's there's some bad blood. You know it's going to get you know it's going to get nasty in 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 seven games if it goes that far. Uh, that one should be a lot of fun and high expectations for both teams, obviously. Okay, one other one I'm going to throw at you, and this is there still would need to be some things to transpire for this matchup to occur. And I know that one of your big uh, series in in playoff history that kind of ruined the course of the NHL was the 96 Mm -hmm. rat-throwing Panthers taking out Lemieux and Yager in their peak. Okay, So I'm going to present to you what I think is a delicious opportunity at uh, redemption or revenge for the Penguins. And that is... How about this? Hey, Penguins fans, just, just sit on that. You know, you have to, we asked you to sit on that for 26 years. But then 26 years after you're the high-flying, high-octane, highest-scoring team in the league, you get to come back and do in the Panthers in round one. But I know the Panthers mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the Penguins back in the day was a conference final, so a little bit different. But what do you think? You a little karma going on here if this it, happens? It could be karma. It could also be like I've decided sort of in, in my own mind because I've been pushing – the Florida Panthers as the the bandwagon team uh, since since week one. You can go back to my very first power rankings when the season was two days old, and I said the Florida Panthers are now your second favorite team. There's whoever you like, and you got to be rooting for the Panthers number two because this was you know they've just got all the pieces. They've, they've got Joe Thornton. You know now they've added Claude Giroux too. Uh, all these great stories. Never won anything. Always getting picked on uh, by the other teams by Tampa or whoever. This is your team. My one hesitancy on that is this is the team that I blame for the dead puck era. <laughs> People have listened to me on this, even more so than the Devils. Yep. We all point the finger at the 95 Devils, but I really think it was the 90. The 95 Devils were hard to score on, but they had Broder, Niedermeyer, Stevens. Uh, yeah, you have a Hall of Fame goalie and, and, and two Hall of Famers on the blue line. You're going to be hard to score on. The Florida Panthers in 96 had nobody except... They knew how to clutch and grab and tackle and slow the game down. And it was awful to watch. And I blame them more for the dead puck air than anyone else. But here's the redemption tour. Because yeah. now it's the high-flying Panthers. I mean, what better thing it, 26 years <laughs> later? So, you know, that the team that killed offense by showing us how you could win by just clutching and grabbing could be the team that brings offense back by showing us that you can actually go out. And everybody always says... Oh, you can't win a Stanley Cup winning six to five. We didn't say that in 1996. That's a recent thing, right? You know that we've. You have to win two to one and all this nonsense. Wouldn't it be great if the Panthers won a Stanley Cup six to five? You know, go out there. Yeah, let it be Pittsburgh, the team that the uh, you know they shut down the that should have been in the final. And then if they get to the Stanley Cup final and they play the team we're all expecting to see there, who is it? 
good old Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. You get the rematch. Exactly. It would be perfect. You get to you. It's it's this is this whole season. I'm viewing as the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. Apologies to the hockey gods. They're going to make it right. They're going to be redeemed. Uh, and I I hope they win the Stanley Cup. Uh, like I say, I hope it's six to five every single night up and down the ice. You know what? You got skill. We got skill. You want to play? We'll play. Let's go fast and uh, furious. And and uh, I, I, I and then everyone in the league sees that and says, now that's the way to win. And we we enter a new era of offense and and a real offensive era. Not this. You know, the scoring rate goes up point one goal a game, and we all pat ourselves on the back like we've been doing for the last few weeks. A real offensive explosion because of the Panthers. I love it. It's not going to happen because I'm rooting for it, but. You know what? We're we're gonna hope. You know, and and one other thought, and I, I mentioned this on the two on the the Monday podcast, and not to be a, a downer on the Panthers because I'm with you. I'm on the Panthers bandwagon. I love the idea of the the Florida Panthers redemption tour. Uh, I looked this up, and again, maybe this is a good nugget for you for at some point in a playoff preview or something next week. In the cap era, no team that has had a 12 game winning streak at any point in their season has won the Stanley Cup. Uh, hmm. it's it's weird because again you would yep. think to yourself well you wouldn't in, in the case of florida they won 14 in a row uh you would think at some point they have you know kind of hit on all cylinders and none of them like go back and look you can you can double check my work but um it's a weird stat um but i i, I go back to the 2010 capitals won 14 games in a row uh at one point in the second half of the season and they got halacked uh that, yep. that would be my fear with the panthers is that very interesting. Yeah. So anyway, the, that's these that's right just, up there. The other thing with the Panthers and and somebody pointed this out to me. Uh, and look, I'm I'm not trying to knock the Panthers. Obviously, they're a fantastic team. They're they have almost sixty wins, hundred and twenty points. You look at their record in overtime, right? And it's phenomenal. It's all overtime. Like Thirteen dominance. and two, yep. something like that. They're in it just it, purely in terms of regulation wins. And look, I mean, you they're they're playing by the same rules as everyone else, but. They are well behind Colorado, well behind Carolina, also behind Toronto, behind Calgary, behind St. Louis, behind the New York Rangers. And the reason that I bring this up is obviously there's no three on three in in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So uh, if this is a team that is inflating their record based on what happens in overtime, hey, I got no problem with that because that's how the rules are. That's how the season's played. But that maybe doesn't tell us as much as we think about... uh, about how they're going to play once the playoffs start. Can I hit you with one more thing? Yeah. Because this is just my, I've, my, my brain's been working on parallel tracks here. That going back one more time to that 96 Stanley <laughs> Cup final, yeah. Avalanche and Panthers, let me ask you this. What was the goaltending matchup? Uh, Patrick Waugh, John Van Beesbrook. Wasn't it? 10 years before. Oh in my, 1986. 86. Yeah, Rangers and Habs Van, in the conference Rangers final. Rangers and Habs. Oh my Van God. Van Beesbrook versus Patrick Waugh. So same. So there's a ten year gap, and also four different teams involved. Both guys switch teams, and then they meet again. Uh, so that's that's at least one ten year gap that I. Can oh, find. there you go. Look at that. Perfect. Yeah, that that was uh, that was Patrick Waugh's coming out party. It was eighty uh, six when he, uh, you know, I think he had a thirteen save performance in in overtime at Madison Square Garden, and um, yeah, that's uh, unbelievable. There you go. We found at least one other. I'm sure there's found probably a couple one. of other ones too. So. There's definitely going to be some, but uh, there, and it'll be interesting to dig into. And I'm I'm looking forward to the tweets and the emails and the "Hey, you idiot! I can't believe you forgot about." <laughs> yeah, 
about this one. Yeah, Mike Palmatier and somebody or some random eighties <laughs> exactly eighties matchup. Yep. Uh, hey, listen, uh, regular season is wrapping up, and I I just want to hit you up real quick on a couple of awards here, and what like in your estimation, and and maybe just a top three, like what should a perfect ballot look like for the hard trophy? Like in your estimation, and this look, this is the first year that I think, man, this is this is tough. Like I almost feel like Connor McDavid is being shortchanged. Like this guy's having an unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He's going to end up with 125 points, and it doesn't feel like he's the runaway leader or the the. It's almost like we've become desensitized to McDavid's greatness, yeah. and I'm worried. There's a little bit of I, McDavid I, fatigue. I worry on about there, that. Sure. I, I worry that we we fatigue of someone's greatness to the point where we water down their accomplishments but you know mcdavid has a case for it uh he's not the only guy in alberta i think johnny goudreau has a case for it yeah i think obviously austin matthews has a case for it i would argue and i would listen to the argument on shesterkin i would listen to an argument on kirill kaprizov um there's some guys that like deserve to be in the top two or three. So if you have Mm -hmm. a perfect ballot, what does it look like for you? Top three for the hard trophy. And and you know who I'm really interested to see if they wind up on any ballots, but Jason Robertson. 40 40 goals. 40 goals. And if you really want to go, if you're one of these people who views the MVP as most valuable to his team, as far as making the playoffs, I mean, this guy, Dallas doesn't make the playoffs. If this guy isn't scoring big, like big goals, if you drop him down to 35, if it's the right five goals, that takes Dallas out of the playoffs. He he scores two goals against Vegas with their season on the line. I I, I mean, he wouldn't be on my ballot, but I wonder if he's going to show up on a few. Uh, I by the way do not have a ballot this year, um, so not I'm I'm not not that I'm bitter about that or anything, but this is purely for fun. Yeah, uh, my top three would be. At this point, I think I would have to go Matthews number one. I do think I'm I'm back to Shesterkin as number two, and I I think it would be Johnny Gaudreau uh, yeah. as as my third guy, uh, just because I think you know the the fact that he rediscovered his game that way really put is 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 what became the foundation that the rest of what the Flames were doing was built on. And I think if I had two more spots on my ballot, you know, if I had the the typical five, I I, I think. McDavid and probably Roman Yossi are the other two guys that I put out there, which means yeah. I'm leaving, leaving off Jonathan Huberdeau. It means I'm leaving off uh, a handful of other guys that are probably deserving. But I, I think that's where I go. And you're right on McDavid. Like normally if somebody runs away with the scoring, he's not running away, but if somebody wins the scoring title on a team that was kind of a bubble playoff team, that's that's your MVP most years. Uh, but I, it, you're right. There's just some people seem to have, I don't know if it's fatigue, taken for granted, whatever you want to call it. Uh, McDavid isn't maybe getting the buzz he deserves. Okay, another, again, I, I don't mean to just throw potential column ideas and nuggets at you, but I mean- No, how, this is, I need it. How many Trust times me. has a player got to 125 points, been the only guy to get to 120? Again, McDavid would have to get there and not win the MVP. Because I'm thinking in my mind, Kucherov was was at that point, got the MVP. Joe Thornton got to that point, got the MVP. Um, I don't know, did Crosby, I think, get there? He got the MVP. Like, I'd I, I, I love to know in the kind of recent years where getting the 125 is a rare, like, how rare is this that McDavid would mm-hmm. get to that threshold and not win the MVP? Yeah, no, it's a, and it's it's a great question. And I, I mean, it, it can't be a long list. 
I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm all this entire podcast is just me giving you homework. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I'm not going to do, yeah, by the way. Yeah. I feel like I'm back in school. Yeah. Just, yeah, the yeah. teachers, are you, ah. are you even making notes right yeah. now? Oh, yeah. No, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I'm on it. You're treating this with the same level of seriousness as a first year poly sci class. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm going to, I'll be copying someone else's. I'm going to watch it on ITV later. Yeah. It's fine. Don't worry. Oh, man. Okay. The other ballot I want to run through real quick because I think it's equally compelling in terms of having four, maybe five candidates. It's the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year, where I think Moritz Sider can lay claim to it. Zegris had a great year. I love Taylor Janot and what he's done in, in, in Nashville. Michael Bunting has had a wonderful year. Um, like, I mean, you go through, like, there's two or three other guys that, Cole Caulfield all of a sudden is north of 20 goals. Like, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of guys that I think can lay claim. If you could vote for three, what does your perfect Calder Trophy ballot look like? Yeah, Cider and Zegers, I think, are are one two, um, and then you get into it. It starts getting a little bit tougher. Uh, the the guy that I've mentioned lately, and I I I do think I'd find a spot on my ballot for him, um, is is Jeremy Swayman. The fact that a guy yeah. on a real good team is playing half the games as a goaltender, uh, you know, he's he's the best of the rookie goaltenders, and in theory, goal is a it's it, it's it's tough for a rookie. You're out there on your own. You know, there's no you, you can't put him with an experienced defense partner or put him on a line where you know protect him in the in the offensive zone. It's uh, it's tough. So I you know he'd be up there for me. Lucas Raymond as well. And then yeah, you mentioned the other guys. I I might have room for Bunting on my ballot. Um, and and I do not hold it against him that he's that he's older or anything like that. I, that that doesn't matter to me. It's he fits the criteria as a rookie, so he he deserves support. Uh, if if you think his numbers warrant it, but yeah, it is. It's a tough one um, this year. But Swayman's the one guy that I would probably, if I had a ballot, uh, have a little bit higher than than maybe other people seem to to want to put him. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Visit Directv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, like I said off the top, no Jesse Granger this week. He is tied up. We're recording this late on Wednesday where the Vegas Golden Knights, surprise, surprise, are losing at the time of this recording while Dallas is up 3-0 on Arizona. So like everything we said off the top, we think 
that'll hold at least if all, all Dallas has to do. We is, know. Yeah. It's done. It's done. It's over. Yeah. Forget it. Okay. But we got some uh, mailbag questions to get through. So again, uh, usually uh, Jesse Granger, which is a presentation of uh, BetMGM, the exclusive uh, betting partner with The Athletic. Uh, we're going to hold off on Jesse this week. We'll get back to him, probably do a recap of uh, the, the night season and look at some playoff uh, money lines next week. Uh, email here. Uh, Patrick from Chicago writes into the show. Yuri Herdina played five seasons in the late 80s and the early 1990s. 250 games played in his career, 45 goals, and had a couple of Game 7 goals uh, for, I don't even know if that was for, I'm assuming Pittsburgh. But anyway, seven points in 45 playoff games. But guys, Yuri Herdina has three Stanley Cups in five seasons. Do you believe Yuri Herdina is the luckiest depth player in NHL history, guy basically batted 600. Like, yeah, three for five. Three, five years in the league, That's three Stanley Cups. Pretty impressive. He and, and probably not something that we'll necessarily ever see again. You know, people who don't know, he came, he was a, a Czech player. He came over in the, the late 80s. He was already 30 years old. So and that's what, you know, it wasn't like he was a guy toiling in the minor leagues. This was back when it was very difficult to get uh, players from behind the Iron Curtain to come over. And uh, so, you know, that's why his NHL career was so short. Um, but yeah, he he absolutely. In fact, it, when I first read this question, I was like, oh, no, he, he played longer than that. I, th- I was thinking of Jan Herdina. So, right. Yeah, he, he, you, you got it. He's not even. He's not even the uh, the most famous Herdina of the uh, uh, of the bunch. Uh, I, that one's hard to argue with. I mean, he's he's sort of the uh, the 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 he was Pat Maroon before Pat Maroon uh, came along. I, I don't know that there's too many guys who. Um, I mean, he was a good player. He had a thirty goal season, but yeah, the good timing, right place at the right time. Absolutely. Uh, so six hundred batting average for Herdina. The only guy I can think of that I, I'm pretty sure has a higher quote-unquote batting average in terms of winning championships would be Ken Dryden, right? Because didn't Dryden yeah. play only eight seasons and win six Stanley Cups? Like, he had one year that he just missed. He's like, I think I'll go to law school or whatever, right? Like, he just yeah, randomly I, missed a year in yep. 73, 74, whatever. Yep. And I think Ken Dryden played eight seasons, is credited, I think, with eight seasons in the league and six cups, yep. which is a... 750 eight batting. seasons six cups and one of those seasons he only played a few games uh that was the year that he then he won a cup that year where he was kind of the the rookie goalie who who showed up out of nowhere and won the con Smythe. yeah i mean I, I i don't think there's a higher percentage other than i'm sure there's guys out there who won a cup in you know their their one and only year that they they appeared in the league but uh um other than the guys who who are a 100 batting average on on one maybe two cups. I, I can't imagine there's anyone who can who can beat Dryden. Okay, we don't have Jesse Granger, but we do have an email from Jesse. Uh, and by the way, you can mm, email, interesting, yeah. <laughs> but it's not re- related to the Golden Knights. But a reminder: you can reach us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, or drop us a voicemail. We love to hear your voice. 845-445. 8459. So that's how we got uh, Patrick in Chicago was an email. So is Jesse, who says, does any team have a better collection of jerseys than the Vancouver Canucks? They got three distinctive jerseys. I think all three of them are great. Some teams can't even find one. So Jesse thinks Vancouver's gone three for three with their jerseys. Yeah, I, I, my, here's my problem with Vancouver. I love the black flying skate 
so much. The, 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 and the some beret of that's edition, that's, right? The early yeah, 90s. That's yeah. what I, you know, that's what I grew up with, the uh, the beret edition. I love that so much that it it I can't get on board with the ones that they've had since. I, I've never liked, you know, the the orcas as much or, you know, when they, they switch the color scheme. To me, that one was just so perfect and it's so much what I identify with with um the some of the very best years of that team that i i don't i don't love the other ones but it's not because i it's not because i think they're bad it's just that you know it's 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 like asking somebody to pick their favorite kid i mean there's one clear favorite and then the rest are fine and you're you know whatever i love it uh and we got one other email here okay from jim and like a lot of us jim has been tripped up on something that he saw on reddit jim says look i saw this on reddit i'll do it yeah uh that has more or less consumed my entire morning at work. Somebody on Reddit yeah. mentioned that the Hurricanes Whalers franchise has won four different division titles over the years. The Metropolitan, the Central Division last year, the Old Southeast, and the Old Adams. Got me thinking, has another team won more unique divisions than the Whalers slash Hurricanes? Obviously, this would skew towards older teams, but the kicker to me is that if you had won the Patrick Division nine times, that only counts as one unique division title. So yep. Jim wants to know, has anybody won five different titles? They, they have. And I'll, I'll say this. It doesn't skew as much to the old teams as you would think. Because remember, in the original six era, there's no divisions. Right. So, you know, unless you're counting the whole league as a division, there, there, was, there was no division when there's only six teams. And in fact, for most of before the original six, uh, there were there were not divisions. It was just just one group of teams. So if we're... Uh, you know, if we're counting it that way, uh, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't fit there. Now, having said that, uh, yes, there is a team that uh, they can beat the Hurricanes, and it is the team that you that you would assume it is the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and I'll go down the list. the The Montreal Canadiens uh, they won, and again, when we say win here, we're saying finish first in because I, I think that's the the criteria that uh, yeah. that's being used in this email. Um, they they won the Canadian division. There was a uh, back in the twenties when the NHL started to add American teams. They did for a period of a few years have a Canadian and an American division. That was the first time that we had divisions in the NHL. Uh, the Canadian the Montreal Canadiens did win that division a few times. Uh, then they get into the original six era. They they win. They finish first there a lot, but we we won't count that. They win the East division. After expansion, that's when the NHL puts all the original six into the East. They put all the expansion teams into the West, uh, kind of ignoring geography to do it. But uh, Montreal wins that. Montreal, a lot of people forget this. When they, the dynasty years, the Guy Lafleur, five or four cups in a row at the 70s, they were actually in the Norris, Norris division. Yeah, Norris division. Back then. So they, they win the Norris division. That's number three. Um and then they win the Adams, of course. That's uh, for for my era and, and yours. That's the the team we associate them with. So that brings them to four. Uh, and then they have won uh, finished first in both the Northeast Division and the Atlantic Division. So that's two more. Wow. So uh, six. And then and then of course we're we're the playoff winner of the North Division last year. But um, it, you know the, we're just just based on finishing first. They have finished first in uh, each of every. In fact, the North, oddly enough, was the only division the Montreal Canadiens have ever played in that they didn't win in terms of finishing in first place. Regular season. Um, yeah. But I, wow. I think I'm pretty sure they'd, they'd take how that turned out over 
over finishing first. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, speaking of, uh, you know, the Habs and going down hockey history, it's a perfect time for us to segue into that, to wrap up the pod. It is a little segment we like to wrap up the show with called This Week in Hockey History. And all we're going to do is actually tee up something that you've got coming. Now, this is coming out on uh, Friday. Am I right on this? That this is week? the plan. Okay. If I if I can get off my butt and finish it tomorrow. Okay. So give our listeners the premise of your- I guess Friday. I have to now. Yeah. Well, now, now we're just motivating you to work all day on Thursday to, to, to hit the deadline here. Yeah. Uh, I'm the, the premise here is I want to, uh, get a little bit ahead of, of celebrating the 30 year anniversary of what I would consider the greatest night in NHL playoff history, uh, which is May the 1st, 1992. So this coming Sunday will be 30 years. The only night in NHL history that we had, Four game sevens going on at the same time. Um, and this was back in the days where uh, it was the first round of the 92 playoffs. The first time that the first round had gone into May because of the uh, the very brief player strike at the end of the 92 season. And this was back in the day where the NHL just said, hey, we don't do any fancy scheduling. One conference goes on even number of days and one conference goes on odd number of days and just every second day for throughout all of the playoffs. And so the, uh, the uh, Wales conference, which was what we would now consider the Eastern conference, all four of their series were playing at the same nights. All four of those went to a game seven. And uh, because it was, because it was the Eastern time zone, they, all, all the games, I don't think they all started at exactly the same time, but they were all going on at the same time. You had four game sevens, uh, you talk about uh, talk about drinking out of a fire hose. It was as good as it could possibly get. I'm calling it the single best night in uh, in the history of the NHL playoffs. Man, okay, so yeah, four games. I remember because I grew up a Habs fan. Mm-hmm. This was the night Russ Courtnell scored a overtime goal against Hartford. And this is the night Russ Courtnell murdered the Hartford yeah, Whalers. And the Whalers, Ivan Korovo hit the goal post like he could have knocked out the Habs and I think he hit the goal post in in overtime and the Whalers were just you know they were right there and 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 couldn't beat the Habs you know the fun uh, you'll appreciate this fun fact when Russ Cortnell scored that goal against Hartford that's the last game Pat Burns ever won as head coach of the Montreal Canadiens because they would really want to get swept I believe by Boston in the next round yeah and then he leaves five days later uh, in like a weird bomber jacket with Leafs uh, paraphernalia. There's nothing weird about it, man. Nothing, that was yeah. great. All right, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna make a little note. Pat Burns. Okay, there you go. I'll throw that in. Just there. double check it. Yeah. Always double check yeah. the work. <laughs> no, nah. nah ah, Ian said it. Ian said it. Yeah, Ian said it. It's on a podcast. It's got to be true. Okay, that was the Hartford Whalers, a bad Hartford Whalers team playing a very good Canadian uh, Canadians team, but already the Whalers were on shaky ground, and you're just thinking. They had never won anything, never really gone deep. You're thinking if they could pull this off and Peter Sidorkowitz against Patrick Waugh in overtime, now, double overtime hold on. of a game seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it was Frank Pietrangelo. Petrangelo. It might have. Was, was it? it? Okay, you know what? It might have been. I, I get, I'm get. i getting my uh, shady. Uh, shady. Uh, uh, long winded last name. Sidorko. Frank Pietrangelo. Yep. Okay. It was Peter Sidorkowitz uh, was on that team. Uh, but Frank, and now how did this have Frank Pietrangelo played only. Five games in the season and then played that entire. He played. I remember. Okay. Again, this is how my mind worked as a Habs fan. I was Mm -hmm. petrified. I'm pretty sure that the year before 
Frank Peterangelo won a game seven for the Penguins and like shut out somebody like the Devils or somebody in a game seven in round one. Do you remember this? You're you're sending no, not at all. But you're sending me down the uh, he had I, okay, Frank so Peterangelo won been? game seven for the Dev, for the Penguins in round one of ninety one. I just don't remember if it was the Devils or the Caps. I want to say the Caps, maybe. It 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 was the New Jersey Devils. Devils. Okay. I'm looking at it right yeah. now. Four, four nothing yeah. win. And he shut them out. And then all I could think about was, oh my god, what if Frank Peterangelo is like the game seven whisperer, and all he does is yep. win game sevens. Like that's how he my could have been Mister Game Seven. Yeah, move on. Before Justin there was a Mister Game Seven. Yeah, but uh, he no, and it didn't. And he played well. And it was, I mean, he, he, I think, you know, forty or fifty saves by the time that game ended. But that that was the only one of the four that went to overtime. Um, but we we got some some Game Seven overtime, and I I I will I will say that was the death knell of the Hartford Whalers. I don't think they ever won another playoff game, or or you know certainly not a series, and they were gone off to Carolina shortly uh, thereafter. All right, listen, we'll leave it there because you got apparently you got work to do if you want to get this uh, May first ninety two story in for Friday. You got we got to let you go. Yeah. I have. I only had thirty years to work on it. You think I would? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Think I wouldn't be leaving it to the last minute? Yeah. All right. I want. I want that Frank Peterangelo reference in there, though. You're getting in it. There. All right. There we go. Okay. We'll leave it there. Thanks everybody for listening to this Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We'll get you again uh, next week. As I mentioned earlier, you can always email us your questions: the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail too: eight four five eight eight four five four four five eighty four fifty nine. If you're not a subscriber with us, we got a great deal going on right now. Annual subscription. It's a dollar a month for the first six months. Um, all you got to do is go to the athletic.com slash hockey show. Athletic.com slash hockey show. A uh, dollar a month for six months. You can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all of our bonus content. Sometimes Sean and I do some fun trivia. Um, it's, a, it's a great way to access that. You'll start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. 